Hello and welcome to the Ham Radio Guy podcast. I'm Marvin and my call sign is W0MET. Whether you're an experienced ham or just getting started, this podcast is for you. We're bringing you the latest of topics, news, and information, and all things amateur radio each episode right here to this show. This is episode number 26. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Well, uh, in this episode, we're going to be discussing RST. And I think most of you probably know what that is, but we will uh, get into that a little bit more. But I want to dive into um, a few things first. I, you know, I, I said many times that I'm, I'm making this move from Tennessee to Massachusetts. And um, it's, you know, the, the joy and thrills of having to complete this move um, between buying a home and selling a home and inspections and paperwork and everything else one can imagine that goes along with this, uh, getting the house ready, you've got all the showings, um, you've got to exit your house, keeping the house like in a, you know, absolutely clean showcase model type of home. I mean, it just, again, the fun behind this is just overwhelming. Um, I'm sure many of you have probably experienced this. It's been many years since I've done this. I think it was seven was the last time I did it. And I'm okay with it's not for, you know, somebody next time. Um, you know, it, it's a lot that goes into this and just, you know, having to find a way to secure a home and you're securing the financing and, and all the paperwork that goes with that and getting bank statements and your pay stubs. And, you know, uh, again, I can probably go into a lot list of a lot more stuff here, but uh, I think you get my drift. But uh, it, it's a lot plus trying to work 40 hours and trying to put a podcast together. And so, you know, uh, family comes first and, and of course, getting uh, all this house uh, stuff in order on both sides for selling and buying uh, obviously comes as a priority as well. So uh, thank you for uh, sticking with me as, as listeners, and I hope that you will gain content from this episode. And, and again, uh, I try to do these as much as I can, but uh, literally coming from my kitchen table today, um, it, it's uh, the, the ham shack has such an echo now that the sound panels and everything else is cleared out of there that I've had to clear that out. And uh, I wanted to get one outside, but the weather has not been very cooperative. It's gotten cooler. It's darker at 4.30 at night. So it's just like not going to be able to make that one go. Um, I was going to try and get one right after a POTA episode the other day I did, uh, or a POTA event uh, activation, but uh, just time didn't allow for that either. So anyway, uh, things are progressing. I should be in Massachusetts, we'll call it mid-December. And uh, we'll try and get one more in before then. I've got some things in my mind that I'd like to be able to get out for a, a topic that's fairly relevant, relevant. and um, hope to get that one out maybe maybe over this weekend and have it recorded, ready to go, uh, if possible. So definitely need to spend some time packing and, and getting some things organized and a few more things off the walls. But I'll certainly try and get another episode in here uh, before that December time frame, and then it probably will be at least two weeks before I get another one back in again. So thank you for being patient with me during this time of transition and uh, getting, you know, a new ham shack built and set back up. And I think I'm going to display some pictures and, um, you know, I'll, I'll definitely be tweeting out some uh, some steps along the way as I go through the process. 
of building the new ham shack. I've got some great things in mind. I've got some great ideas from, from some other friends and, and whatnot uh, for getting a, a station set up. And I'm looking forward to that, to even having better uh, quality audio um, in, in this new studio as well. Well, I've got the trailer. Uh, actually, I have every single part for it now. Got the final blue C panel for my AC to come in from the generator. So um, my brother is supposed to be in town, and we're hoping he has the bit big enough to be able to drill the hole in the side of the trailer. That's a scary thought, um, to be able to put in the generator plug. I think it requires like a 2 and 7 eighths or 2 and 5 eighths inch bit. So it's going to require quite a bit to drill through that. But it is thin sheet metal, so it should go pretty simple and pretty quick. Uh, but we will be taking care of that here around December 7th and 8th. And um, we'll be getting that put together. And again, we'll try and share a few photos via Twitter and follow me that. Maybe something in the newsletter. I am setting up a whole new site for you to subscribe to a newsletter. So that will be coming out. I would expect uh, that might get out before uh, Christmas, but it might be afterwards as well. So I'm not really 100% on that one, but something I'm trying to come back into. And so um, the trailer is obviously going to be a big part of the movie. And so uh, the fact that it's, you know, getting loaded up with a bunch of equipment, all my ham radio gears, I've decided that it's personally going with me and will not be shipped or, or stored somewhere else. And then I will take it all with me. Uh, and I think I will have the space knowing that I've now secured a new home and knowing what that will look like and, and what's around me. So uh, definitely we'll have to take the tower with me. I was debating of selling that. And um, in the little bit of a lull that I am, I will need to um, definitely put up a tower to uh, get out with some HF and probably even use it possibly as just my TV antenna for getting normal reception. So um, that will be something I can certainly talk about as well in a future episode, how that comes along. And, and certainly probably won't get that up um, until next spring sometime as we are moving in December uh, to a northern territory. That means it's cold, probably snow, uh, away from the beautiful Tennessee weather where it's you know cold for maybe a month here at a time. And so uh, we, I'm going to miss that uh, tremendously. I've really gotten adjusted to this Tennessee weather. And I, and I like it a lot uh, for a southern winter. Uh, it's the perfect place to be. You know, it can be a little cold. We might get a little snow. Well, we've had, I think, a max of like 14 inches here once. Uh, Unlike around Valentine's Day, it was must have been February of 2020. And so uh, that's the most I've ever seen here. When I first moved here, we had like five or six inches for one year. And last year, I don't think we got much more than a half inch ever. So I uh, didn't have to really deal with much there. But... Um, it's beautiful in that regards. You do get a little bit, but, uh, we don't get four feet of snow that I could potentially get up in the more hills and part of Western Massachusetts where I'll be. So anyway, there's kind of the, the project. There's the update for the transition on the move. And, uh, again, hope that you continue to follow me and I appreciate your, uh, patience and, and, um, you know, listening and waiting for another podcast to come out and, and be grateful for my listeners that I have. Well, uh, Club Gear Online uh, is a sponsor of the program. And uh, as always, you can reach out to find uh, POTA swag and other ham radio gear. Check out recent items released from his desktop mats, POTA keychains, metal band plans. Club Gear Online has what you need, and he can customize coins, poker chips, QSL cards, and other great gear. 
just email him direct from the website. And he's also now found on Etsy. And you can find a lot more of his other items that he's also posting. On He's got some Christmas decorations and things that he's doing, uh, kind of for a seasonal thing. Helped to generate a little additional revenue there. But uh, for some really cool uh, gear, if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan and you listen to this podcast. Um, but he's got a couple, like a POTA spinner, um, that the kind of a weather uh, spins in the, in, the, in the wind. So anyway, uh, check out clubgearonline.com uh, for all the, your Christmas gifts and things for your uh, ham radio uh, operator. If you'd like to help support the channel and you find that this content is valuable, I would appreciate uh, you, know, you becoming a patron. And look for me on buymeacoffee.com. There's three levels there you can support me at, technician, general, extra. And you can simply support the channel at just a dollar a month or get the extra class membership with more benefits. This, you know, all go directly towards, uh, you know, supporting the channel, the website and, and, and uh, software and, uh, you know, equipment, uh, those sort of things. Uh, you know, I'm not eating uh, steak dinners and, and fine wine here. So um, this channel kind of needs to be self-supported. And, um, you know, I'd appreciate uh, anything from patrons and listeners to help support the channel a little bit there. So uh, thank you for your uh, contributions and, and uh, membership. And again, we'll get that email uh, newsletter out and, and start getting more of a regular posting on that. Well, as of uh, the 14th of November, we have uh, a couple things in the news. And I probably won't even go into a news segment this week with the, with the music. Uh, we're just going to kind of move into this and move right along. On November 4th, 2023, Al Ward's W5LUA, a 38-year quest to contact all 50 states on the 33-centimeter band, ended when he received the first-ever Worked All States certificate for the 902 to 928 MHz. Ward started collecting states on the band shortly after it was opened in 1985. In 1985, the Federal Communications Commission's allocated the frequency band between 902 and 928 MHz to Part 18 of Industrial, Scientific, and Medical ISM Equipment. In that proceeding, the band was also allocated to the Amateur Radio Service on a secondary basis, meaning amateurs could use the band if they accepted interference uh, from from and did not cause interference to primary users. Kind of cool that uh, you're able to get that on a 33-centimeter band. I don't know a lot of people who've worked that, or I don't think I've ever been up in there myself, so... Uh, definitely worth there. And a second news story. Um, I'm providing a link in our show notes this week, and this is how to add your FCC amateur radio license badge to your LinkedIn profile. A link to the site, uh, again, is provided in the show notes this week. Something for you to go check out and do. Um, it's amazing that how many careers and, and how many just sometimes famous people are literally ham operators and you don't even really think about it, or what you know, what has ham radio done for you in uh, your career uh, or to help you with your job that you do every day? So it uh, sounds like a great tweet to me. Probably coming out with that one and getting that posted right after this episode. So something to think about there as well, uh, to how to do that, and that's provided by QRZ. And the last story, this is most interesting, and considering that I just recently did a uh, series in um, – September on emergency communications and income. Uh, this is a most relevant story. In a recent incident on Interstate 81 in Virginia, 
An amateur radio operator's quick thinking and preparedness showcased the importance of alternative communication methods during the unexpected emergencies on the road. As southbound traffic came to a complete standstill, Michael Johnson, an avid amateur radio enthusiast, swiftly deployed his emergency communication setup. Using a modified Yaesu FT-891, equipped with a mag-mount antenna and tuned to the CB band, Johnson was able to monitor channel 19, 27.185 MHz, and gain real-time information about the situation. I knew that truckers traveling in the opposite direction would have crucial information, said Johnson. Having a CB setup allowed me to tap into that network of communication and get updates on the incident. The emergency in this case involved a tractor trailer catching fire, leading to a complete road closure. Johnson, having the capability to tune to the CB frequencies, learned that the driver managed to separate the truck from the trailer and pull away. Law enforcement had arrived, but the fire department and tow trucks were still on their way. While Johnson emphasized that traffic jam itself may constitute an emergency, he highlighted the value of the reliable communications during the unexpected events on the road, especially in winter and mountainous areas. Johnson's FT-891, modified from Mars, military auxiliary radio system operation, allowed him to receive transmissions on CB frequencies, and despite the radio being capable of transmitting on a wide range of frequencies, Johnson did not transmit on the CB band during the incident, adhering to legal regulations. Upon returning home, Johnson tested the spectrum output of the FT-891 when operated on the CB band, and he found the transmitter's output to be remarkably clean. This information is crucial as FCC regulations prohibit the use of amateur radio equipment on CB frequencies, except in emergencies. The incident highlights the importance of amateur radio op- operators being prepared for emergencies and having the ability to communicate beyond traditional cellular networks. Johnson's experience serves as a reminder that in critical situations, alternative communication methods can play a vital role in ensuring timely and accurate information reaches those affected. So uh, kind of a cool story that thinking outside the box, having a, a, a radio available and, um, you know, uh, having the capability of that radio to be able to reach outside its normal range to be able to communicate. So uh, that's awesome that that was a really cool story I thought I wanted to share with people. Maybe not everybody would have heard that. And so just, you know, thinking about your own operations, is that something you could or you might want to do uh, on your own? So as we move from news back into um, the regular programming episode here, topic, we're going to talk about the background review of the well-known RST, also known as Readability, Strength, and Tone standard, introduced in 1934 by Arthur Brayton, W2BSR. While RST... Uh, has served the global community well for nearly nine decades. Um, the author of this article uh, believes that it's come time for a revision. So, um, readability, signal, and uh, tone, or sorry, strength and tone, um, you know, originally came out uh, with its standard and its introduction in the October. Uh, 1934 issue of the QST magazine. So I don't know if a lot of people know where that comes from, so I'll give a little bit of the background history. And, you know, I'll I'll go through what some of these are uh, for RST and and their interpretations. But the... um, Understanding the motivations behind Arthur Brayton's uh, development of RST uh, is really driven by the inadequacies of the existing signal reporting system that we use today. 
I think a lot of things have changed around this, and, and this article, uh, this author believes to be the same. And we'll get to that in just a second here. Um, so the success and limitations of RST is, first, you got your readability. And that uses a scale uh, of ranging from one to five, one being unreadable to perfectly readable uh, in graduated steps. <clears throat> now, the readability scale was developed in 1925, um, but it was retained f f in the RST system. And so, you know, it came up a little bit earlier than, um, you know, the original. It was originally created in 1934, I said, but it was actually created about nine years earlier. And, of course, a signal may be unreadable for reasons besides reception. Um, you know, on the phone, it could be a heavy accent or, or a CW, or it could be Morse code beginner. So our term is really more of a judgment uh, than a measured quantity, but it's useful uh, nevertheless. And we, you know, give signals of five nine all the time. So, uh, you know, you're you're loud and clear. We can, you know, understand people very clearly. But um, that's always, of course, very subject to interpretation. Uh, signal strength uses a scale of one to nine, where one is faint and uh, you know the nine is very strong. And the S number is usually a direct quantity measurement. Um, but again, quite often, it's a judgment call as well. So if the receiver on the other end is experiencing a particular noise reception, whether it's something in the neighborhood or just the band is noisy that day, uh, the, you know, the signal strength takes on a whole different interpretation compared to a, maybe a more quieter reception day or a different location that the person could be in. And so, uh, you know, that obviously plays a factor in this. So, you know, th there's, you know, just judgment calls in that alone. Tone, it's a signal used to quantify um, a pure signal note. Uh, this is typically just used in CW. And during the 1930s, the power supply filter was often an equipment conundrum for many hams causing issues with tone. So... Um, you know, again, tone could be subject to interpretation as well. And that's also rated on a range of one to nine. So, I mean, you could have, you know, like a 599 or something like that as, as if you're doing like CW and that sort of thing. Uh, but you, again, we don't, we, we drop the tone during normal voice operations or phone operation. And we just go, you know, you're a four, four, you're a five, three, you're a five, nine, that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, while, you know, RST has been around for, you know, uh, you know, nearly 90 years here. Um, this author is um, saying that we um, should exchange this for based on DBM. And I'll get to that in just a second here as well. So a reporting system to grade the reception uh, which is readability, uh, obviously, again, is familiar to us all. And it, it's a judgment call. It's always been a judgment call to uh, perceive the quality of the reception. And the S term um, is, is just another judgment call as well. But it should really be established by instrument measurement. And some of us will probably use like 5.9 and, and look at or 5.3 and use the S meter on the radio to make that judgment, right? And that's what most of us would probably do. And, and that's, you know, what the overwhelming majority of radio amateurs already do. Uh, 
uh, again, including myself to make this, uh, you know, um, to give that signal report. So are we um, equipped to make this change? The author says we are. Uh, traditionally, the S-term is an S-meter derived quantity, and also the S-meter by itself does not report the whole re- uh, received picture. Even with an S-meter inconsistencies, it's still a good idea. The role of the noise in the report is equally important. Adjusting the S-term to be a signal-to-noise ratio would be ideal. And he goes on to say, specifically an S-term report of the signal amplitude in the dB above the noise floor provides a more complete picture of the signal reception at that moment. So this is where he's starting to throw the dBm into the S side of the strength um, and giving you a, uh, a quantifying number there. So, you know, now that we are turning towards SDR receivers and with good pan adapters, which I think most of the new equipment has those already built in, which provides the precise signal amplitude measurement as well as the signal to noise ratio. Uh, you know, at a glance, the S meter then jo- does this job well. And so we can really, um, you know, start to make a more accurate uh, strength measurement and give that other operator um, the a better report. So, you know, the present reporting system format, um, you know, it, it's universally accepted, but it's safe to say that it's been, you know, entrenched in all of us uh, as up to the present day for over a century. I mean, almost, I mean, like again, over 90 years. And so I think the challenge that we have with this is persuading hams to adopt a DB above a noise floor strength report is going to be, you know, it's going to take some time. It's going to be a little while to, to get people to make that change as again, we've ingrained in us, you know, to you know make those judgment calls on on the RST report as we have known for you know again for centuries. So, you know, if you know, we, if folks can agree on these changes, and maybe it's something the ARRL will need to maybe push out, um, you know, we can get a general substance, um, something to consider. You know, uh, you know, could this be a change on the horizon for how we give a signal report? Uh, it's very possible. Um, you know, what is it going to take to adopt this to get people to change over? You know, it would be a very long process, I think. It's not something you're going to just change overnight. It's not like an FCC rule changing and that you now have, you know, the availability to do whatever band changes they might have made. Uh, this is going to take a lot more time to adopt and to be able to get this ingrained in people and, and figure out and then you get the you know someone's still giving the old school way and you got the new new you know school way and so how does that really start to play out so you know listeners who who like this recommended signal report method you know can can continue to report you know signals with the expected rst system but you can also include the new system immediately following the rst example you could have a 589 um and so the RS is just 5 by 12. Uh, signal is peaking 12 decibels above the noise floor. Uh, for a great, you know, many hams, uh, you know, that might like to spark a discussion. 
and open up some conversation. So we're taking, again, the, um, the noise floor level and, and adding the signal to it. Uh, and, and so you're getting, you know, your new, your new signal report based off that. So, again, this article will be referenced in the show notes for the week. But, you know, it's something to consider. I hope that makes sense to everyone. It is kind of a lot to swallow and take in. But, um, you know, give me your comments and thoughts, uh, feedback on this. I'm, I'm curious to see what people are thinking, if this is something that would people be willing to change the way they give a signal report, or are we just going to stick with their good old ways that we've always done it? So, which I'm perfectly capable, uh, fine with. Uh, I'm good either way. I, I mean, it's whatever people want to adopt it and go forward with. But, um, you know, I think if we're going to make that change, we've kind of got to go across the board, you know, all or none. I don't think that would work having, you know, the two different types of reporting systems. So, you know, as we, you know, think about this and what the changes are, you know, reflect on the history and ongoing relevance of the, you know, readability, strength, and tone report standard that we've we've known for forever, you know, I, I definitely want to invite all of you to join the conversation. Tell me what your, your experiences are with signal reporting, and do you think it's time for a revision? Uh, you know, connect with us on social media. Share your thoughts and stay tuned for more insights to the, you know, ever-evolving world of amateur radio and the news right here on this podcast. Reach out to me at w0met@thehamradioguy.com email, and that will, uh, you know, send me your comments, thoughts. Glad to provide some of those comments on the next uh, podcast as well, and see where things, um, you know, prevail and and, and what type of adoption uh, this might take on in the future. So. Looking for all things ham radio related, visit the Ham Radio Guy website at thehamradioguy.com for informative content, product reviews, and exciting blog posts. Join the conversation on your favorite podcast platform to stay up to date with the latest trends and news in the ham radio world. Connect with us on Twitter at the Ham Radio Guy, or for more even more updates and engaging interaction, don't miss out on the fun and knowledge sharing. Subscribe to the Ham Radio Guy today. Again, talking about that uh, email, it is going to be coming out. Getting the newsletter in the board and getting on uh getting up to date with you guys so uh, i'd like to keep more get more content for you to be able to feed on and i know there's a lot out there uh but i you know want to find that you have value in this podcast and that you find it um you know interesting and want to keep you on board here so again thank you for being a subscriber and uh, if you're not and listening to this for the first time go ahead and hit that subscribe button or follow and uh you know listen to our past episodes as well well, coming up in the nearby area, um, we have a bunch of ham fest coming around the corner. In November 18th and 19th, just this weekend here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, Fort Wayne Ham Fest and Computer Expo hosting the ARRL Central Division Convention. December 8th and 9th, getting close to that Christmas time. Time to get those gifts, you know. Uh, got the Tampa Bay Ham Fest uh, in West Central Florida section convention uh, as well during that time in Plant City, Florida. So maybe time to get your last-minute uh, ham radio item at the Tampa Bay Ham Fest. So just in time for Christmas. So uh, what a way to go there. Um, and January 6th, Ham Radio University hosting the ARRL New York City Long Island Section Convention in Brookville, New York on January 6th. So right into the new year there. So it's all right around the corner. Uh, we'll be here before we know it. I heard just on the radio the other day there was like 40 
three days to 45 days to Christmas. Uh, absolutely crazy. And uh, it's probably a little less than that now by a couple of days. So anyway, uh, it won't be long and we'll be right into that new year. So and uh, I'll be in a new location. So we'll see how that goes and uh, hope to again provide that great content for you even out there in Massachusetts. Well, if you enjoyed the podcast, we'd appreciate it if you become a subscriber wherever you get your podcast. If you can rate and review the show, go out to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or just go old school and tell your friends and family, neighbors, hell, anybody you think might want to hear a podcast like this to listen in that might find this information informative. And if you're on social media, be followed to follow us on Twitter and buymeacoffee.com. You can listen to YouTube version as well on the W0MET channel. And hope that you learned something this week. As you, uh, This will help you in your ham radio operations. If you have questions or comments, again, leave them on Twitter podcast platform for me or email me at W0MET at thehamradioguide.com. Well, as always, this is your ham radio buddy in the chair and on the air, the ham radio guy. I say 73, W0MET.